Hello and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. This week's episode, we are going to be reviewing Sagrada and Sagrada Artisans, which is the new legacy style game about Sagrada. Uh, Natasha's had a chance to play through it, so she's going to kind of give you her thoughts on that. And I'm just going to share my opinion on the OG Sagrada. And then in the discussion topic, we are going to be talking about competitiveness in board games and different levels of competitiveness. And we're kind of, we sit with all that. Yeah. All right. So this weekend, uh, my daughter had her friends over for D&D mm-hmm. and my son was gone and my husband and I went out. Um, she had Ted text us like, can you bring us snacks? And we're like, no, we're going to be gone all evening. So we won't be back. And we ended up coming home early and we came home and we got, we found them. Instead of playing D&D, they had one of their, her friends brought over Cards Against Humanity. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> and they're like, this is like 15, 16-year-olds, and they were howling playing Cards Against Humanity. They were just dying. They learned They learned a lot. But I had to um, explain a couple new words to Parker. That oh, she didn't my God. Know. Yes. That's the funny thing is when you play that game, sometimes you come across a word that people don't know and you're just like, well. Especially at that age, like there's a lot in there they don't know. Yeah. yeah there's even adults where we've played. And granted, I haven't played this game in like 10 years or whatever, but there are times where you'll be playing with adults and then be like, I don't even know what that is. And be like, well, I like, I, I, could, I could tell you, you. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you what it means, but that's probably not. I'll let somebody else tell you what that means. I wish there was like a slightly toned down version, you know, like one for teens, because it's a hilarious concept for teens, you know, especially all the taboo topics. It's just, it's just, it takes it like a little step too far, but I don't, I didn't, I didn't get mad. I didn't make them put it away or anything. I let them keep playing and, and I just, I, I just heard howling for hours. They were just, just dying. That mirrors the experience I had when I first played it. I thought the game was amazing because it just it took like boxers and boxers or briefs, apples to apples. It took all those, you know, vanilla style kind of games and turned it up again, you know, for people who are terrible people. And it was like perfect for me. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. It was it was kind of fun because it it did make me think about the first time I played it too and how much fun I had, yeah. which was fun funny because the first time I had played it was with one of our good friends and her son was there playing it with my daughter. Oh, <laughs> came full circle. Nice bringing it back, bringing it back, right? So now they they all have the experience <laughs> of it. I hope none of the parents uh, listen to the podcast. I might be in trouble for letting them play. I don't know. Do you think there'd be parents who would be upset about 16-year-olds playing that game? I know it oh, has yeah. some um, mature content in it. Do you think? It's Oh, yeah. It's for sure. I don't know that any of her friends' parents would um, that were there. I don't, I don't know some of the parents, so I don't know. But yeah. I know that, that in, especially in my community, it would be very, very frowned upon and i'm sure there are a lot of people and and no judgment like if you don't want your kids hearing that like some of it's pretty nasty some of it can be pretty bad like it's yeah there's there are time there are things that come up in that game you're just like oh man this is awful and i think part of the funny part of it is the fact that you know 
It's so awful. It's yeah. so awful. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't, there's no like middle ground. There's like vanilla apples to apples and then cards against humanity. Right. Like there's no, the, <laughs> yeah. like that middle That's ground. What there's I'm nothing. Saying. Like, like a, like a dirty version of card of apples to apples would be great without like that next level that cards against humanity brings it to. Cause it's a great game for teens and like, you know, like there's nothing funnier than sex. Like it's just nothing, you know? Yeah. Cards against humanity, but for teens. Yeah, with like all, all the stuff they're not supposed to talk about, you know, I don't know. Yeah, there there would almost need to be two versions. Like there need to be like the boys version where it's only talking about like poop and farts and stuff, you know, because they, they find that like they find that stuff funny, you know. There'd be like the preteen that was like the 10 year olds. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I haven't played that game in a long time because it gets sour, right? And like yeah, it gets stale, yeah. Hearing them howl or whatever, just like yeah, I still remember the first time I played it. It was you know, it was an awesome experience with people. We were all like falling out of our chairs laughing because we had never experienced a game like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I got to give them credit for creating a game that honestly took a lot of guts to produce. What game manufacturer back then would have said, "Okay, let's make this game that's." god awful let's apples to apples but like not suitable for work in the slightest mm-hmm. and just have all these like terrible things on it and the publisher was like yeah you know what i think so i think we're gonna pu- yeah sounds good let's publish that I'm you sure know like story behind that oh man i would love to hear what that story is and how it all came to be i bet you i can you know, a quick little google search will probably like fill that in sort of thing but um yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so much for D and D. Let's play cards against humanity. <laughs> well, well, then I came downstairs and she's like, "They had said I won't say what the word is, but they had said that." And Parker's like, "Oh, I know what that is. That's da da da." And I was like, "Oh no, oh no, yeah. it's not." And I come over and I stand there and I was like, "Let me, let me explain that to you." And she's like, "No, no." And I'm like, "No, no, no. I'm gonna explain it. You're gonna, need, you're gonna need to know what this word means." It's good. Oh my god! It was great. <laughs> um, oh, Cards Against Humanity. I'm glad. I'm glad they had fun with it, though. So, who brought it? Which kid was responsible? I. I that's what I asked her this morning. Who brought that? One of her friends. Oh, and I bet you she was. She didn't say who it was. I was or anything like, like that. well, have you met their parents? Because I kind of want to. Because <laughs> <laughs> they clearly have it. <laughs> Okay, before we get into games, and uh, I do want to follow something up from last week's episode. So last week's episode, we talked about, in question time, we talked about specifically a person who purchased a game, and the game board, while still functional for the game, had some imperfections and stuff, and she wanted to get a replacement, and the company in question would not replace the board. And she bought the game brand new from Spiel, presumably, I don't know, but from the from the actual publisher. We have a friend who works at our local game store, and he reached out and he, you know, he said that, you know, specifically with like replacement parts, nine times out of ten, Asmodee will send an entire new game to replace the game in question. So we had kind of talked about how you know, Asmodee, there was this big brouhaha about how they're not going to replace parts and stuff like that. You have to go back to the, the publisher or back to the game store. So it sounds like Asmodee is willing to, you know, send a replacement game in order to do it. So I'm, I'm curious now if that means like 
they just they don't want to handle all that they they just put it on the publisher and it's easier for them to ship the game to the publisher as opposed to them handling all the little inquiries they just basically are like subbing it out to the local game stores now so at least that's cool at least the game store can still get a replacement copy for you know a copy that they got from asthma day that's not good you know Mm -hmm. so that's that's nice to hear so just a quick little follow-up from our discussion of last week but let's get into some board games let's discuss some sagrada all right so i'm gonna talk about sagrada this is by adrian adams and daryl andrews art is by peter walken and it's published by Floodgate Games. So in this game, you've got a giant bag of dice, and you roll as many dice as you have p- two forever people at the table. So if you have four players, you're going to roll eight plus one, so nine dice, and then you roll them all, and then you draft them in snake order. So first person drafts the dice, they place it on their board, a little grid that they have to start off. You can place it on any of the outside spaces, and then going forward, you can place it adjacent, including diagonals. But the rules of placement are that it cannot be adjacent, orthogonally adjacent to a dice of the same color, and it cannot be orthogonally adjacent to a dice of the same value. So you can't put a six next to a six. You can't put a red next to a red. But diagonally, they can be. So you could have a a six uh, next, uh, diagonally next to a six. So that's the whole game. Basically, you continue drafting until you, you do 10 rounds. So you've got 20 dice total until your whole board is filled out. And then at the end of the game, you're going to score based on the objectives throughout the game. So you might score, there's some examples where you want to get an entire row of different values, different numbers. And you can score like six points per row, something like that. Could be a column of different numbers. Could be ones that are diagonally adjacent to each other. There's all kinds of different ways you can score. Um, everyone also has a personal objective, which is a color in the game. So like my personal objective might be red. So I want to, I will add up all the values of all the red dice in my board. Um, the pit value. So you want to get a lot of high red ones, for example. And that's that's basically the whole game. Um, you know, throughout the, each game, you're going to pick one of uh, two different starting boards where there's some restrictions on the board. Like you can, pl- a lot of them are open. You can place anything you want there, but some of them are, are restricted to like a certain color. Like you have to put a purple die here or you have to put a one die here. So there's some restrictions. Some of them are easier than others. If you get an a harder one, you'll get these little tokens that you can spend on tools, which let you manipulate the dice in some way. Um, throughout the game, there's different ways you can manipulate dice, but you can never break the rule that the the dice um, cannot be adjacent to a same color or value. If you, At the end of the game, you find ones that break the rule. You just have to remove one of them, and you just don't have to score that. And that, that's the whole game. What I think makes the game fun to me is how puzzly it is. I love like, okay, this die needs to be here. I love trying to get all like, there's always three goals in the game plus your personal objective. I love trying to work hard at trying to complete all of those goals. What are the odds that I'm going to get the dice that I need that goes here? I need it. I can only put a red six in order to meet all my goals. You know, so that's the dice I'm going to go for first where these other ones I could take like three different dice to put in this other section. So I love the puzzliness of this game. I agree. It's it's a very unique, interesting puzzle because it combines the drafting aspect as as well as like the puzzle aspect where there's a specific die you need and it might not come back around for you, but do I take it now? Although, because then it could end up interrupting some of the other things that I'm trying to do within the game. 
So I think they're in. What's nice about it too is the puzzle shifts every single game because you have a variety of those cards that get inserted into your little stained glass window. So it's it's constantly changing, right? And depending on the difficulty, you might get some additional. You might get the ability to do some additional in-game actions. So if you have a harder board, you get more more ability to manipulate some things, which is cool. If you have an easier board, you get less, but obviously that counteracts with how easy that particular board is to score. So I I agree. I I, I think the puzzle of this game is is actually quite interesting. It combines a lot of little things together, from the drafting to the three different scoring objectives to not being able to place the same color die next to each other or the same pit value next to each other. It, and then you have your own personal objective. So if I'm blue, like I really want to try to get as many blue as I possibly can in order to score as high as I can with my own personal objective. Mm-hmm. I think the snake draft really works well in this game. It makes it really interesting. If you're a first player, awesome. You get first choice. You can get whatever die you want. You're playing in a four-player game. You've got nine die to choose from, which is great, which is better. It's way better at four. Yep. So you get much more likely to get that one die you need. But then everyone else is going to choose two die and it's going to come back to you. You're going to have a choice at two. So you need to make sure you get the die you really want and then you have room for whatever's left at the end because you're going to get whatever one of those two die. You're going to still get a choice. But being last is great because, yeah, you don't get first place, but you get to choose your die at the same time. So yep. that's really good because you can plan them both at the same time because you're going to get one and two. And then it goes back around. So you really are paying attention to what other people can take, You know what they have available to them, what they're working on to see what chances are like if you want these two dice what one do you think is going to be most likely to be left on your turn on the snake back i think there's a lot of interesting choices in that i agree i think you think about the drafting process differently at every single spot like you said it when i'm first like that's fantastic because i get whatever it is i want and i can get the thing i need normally but then Mm -hmm. i'm sacrificing that thing at the end but then you know yes if i'm last in the snake draft then I don't have first pick, but I can take two of what whatever is left. So I've often found myself looking at where my position is in the draft and looking at the set of dice and already trying to make ideas of what it is I can and can't take. What what is important to me now? What can I put off for a bit? Like what do I wait for? What do I not? So there's a lot of interesting choices at all the different spots within the draft, which I think is which I think is a positive thing for this particular game. The downfall, I would say. With Sagrada and when it came out is it came out in the same year as Azul. And these two games got compared to each other so much because they're both drafting games. They're both similar, like kind of puzzly games, right? And I think, unfortunately, Azul just was more popular than Sagrada. And I think in some ways Sagrada has a way more puzzle to it than Azul. Azul is a little bit more straightforward. Yeah, in some I was going to say that exact same thing. It's straightforward. It's a little bit easier to teach. Like it's a little bit easier to play. Yeah. You know, where as you get further along in Sagrada, it's gets more and more restrictive, and it can be really like agonizing. But yes. I, I love that. I I like this game quite a bit. I like I like I love Azul as well. Yeah, I like I prefer Azul over Sagrada. I'm going to be the first to say that. I like the simplicity of Azul. Uh. The the scoring when you first teach people it to them it doesn't seem quite intuitive when you talk about it but as soon as you do the first round of scoring people are just like all right I get it in Sagrada the my major problem with Sagrada is the scoring I love everything else about it I love the I love drafting snake draft is cool with me 
I love the puzzle that you get. My my main issue is the scoring. I don't find it as exciting as some of the other things. Like for Azul, I can I can start playing pieces and then all of a sudden I'm like, all right, I'm going to score a lot from this one one piece getting placed in there because it's going to complete a row and it's going to complete a column all at once. And I'm going to score a ton of points. In Sagrada, so you have those three public objectives. Now, if everyone scores all three of those public objectives exactly the same, it all boils down to your personal card. Who has drafted the higher values of your own color? I've never seen, I've never played a game where everyone has the same numbers on the objectives, the public objectives. Have you gotten, have you always gotten all three? Do you always get all three? Yeah, but, but all three aren't, you don't get the same number. Like it's, it's like usually per call, per column, per row, per this, per that. So it's never like, it's never just one value. It's always like, could be any number of value, you know? Well, so it's like if you do this objective in this column, you're going to score three points per column that you've completed this. Yeah. Right. But so let's say, prime example, you and I are playing. And the way we play, we are going to try everything in our power to complete every single one of those objectives to the fullest. Right? Mm-hmm. That's which is just impossible. A, which is impossible, you said? You don't think you can do it? Depending on the objectives. But like a lot of them are like, you know, like maybe you get seven points per row but there's mm-hmm. like four or five rows i forget what it is and there's four there's four rows and five columns okay yeah you might get three like that would be typical you know maybe if you get four that's great but you're probably not gonna get four then you're probably gonna get less of the other ones i've yeah. never seen it where everyone has the same because they're yeah. they're so swingy I don't, I don't know like the last game we played it came down to I missed one of the like I can miss one of the rows and I hadn't really been focusing on my colors because it just every time my color was like red and every red die that got rolled was like a one two or three I didn't see very high value reds and when there were they were drafted away from me which was fine I mean that's the game right I just don't find it that interesting yes the objectives are cool and maybe I just don't like scoring objectives like that because I think if everything is the same and we all accomplish those those goals, so for example, like you said, you've never seen it, but let's just say, for example, you do, it comes down to the one scoring objective of how many colors can I get? It's not like I can say, all right, I'm going to say, screw this one objective, I'm going to focus on these two, and I'm going to get as many of my color that I'm looking for, and I'll be successful. I don't feel like I would be. N- no, you, you kind of need to take it, you need to you can't do everything. Like that's why it's not going to be the same because you can't complete all of the objectives. Like you can't get 100% all of the objectives. It's just not possible. So you need to focus on which ones are you focusing on, you know, and then taking the best you can get from the die rolls. Yeah. I don't know. I just like I said, for me the scoring just it falls flat for me. I just don't feel like it's overly like I don't know, engaging, I guess. You score at the end, which is fine, you know. You you mm-hmm. flip the the draft board over and then you're scoring with your with your little tokens or whatever i don't know it is a little it is a little anticlimactic all right let's score it up yeah like oh okay we're done we have this cool thing like sweet all right let's score points all right how many did you get for this okay how many did you get for that like okay personal objectives it just doesn't i don't feel like there's enough variety in one game maybe even though there's the three objectives i don't know it just doesn't it does doesn't click with me the scoring is just kind of like meh. I wonder if it'd be more fun if you could score through throughout the game. Ooh, 
I got this, but you can't. That wouldn't make sense because it wouldn't. You yeah, could, you you could like get a row or something, and then you know put something else next to it that breaks the rules, and then end up removing it. That wouldn't be against, that'd be against the rules, but. Well, you can sometimes you can do those special in-game powers that allow you to like manipulate the dice that are on your board. So if you yeah. scored it and then removed it, like so I don't, I don't you can't know. score your own personal objective because you don't want people to know what your personal objective is. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It just overall the puzzle and everything like that. I think it's I think it's a very crunchy puzzle with yeah. all those scoring objectives. I I agree. I think the puzzle aspect for it is really good. That's that's the game. That's the heart and soul of the game is the is the crunchy puzzle. That's for sure, and that's what I love about it. I I love Scrata. I'm coming in at eight, Bob. What are you rating it? Uh, I'm gonna go seven point five. Oh, okay, so, better than yeah. I thought. Then no, I like the. Th- that's the thing. I really like the game, and every time I play it, I'm like, oh yeah, oh man, I'm loving the puzzle. And then scoring hits, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, that's the, um, well, that's the part I don't really fun care. for you. Yeah, just I I don't know. Maybe the expansions do different things with the end game scoring, so it gives you some additional like options. I did play the expansion recently when we were at Grand Con, um, it, and it was fun. But yeah, it had nothing. The end game scoring was exactly the same. So no. Yeah. So like I said, overall everything up until that point, I love. But the mm-hmm. scoring just leaves it just leaves it flat for me. So. All right. So this this game is for um, puzzle lovers, I think. Yeah. If you like a crunchy, thinky puzzle, abstract game, I think this game would be great. It, I think the theme is not going to scare off a lot of people. If you've got friends that like, you know, crunchy, heavy puzzles, even if they're not board gamers, I think it's it's pretty intuitive and easy to figure out, easy to learn, and the, the heaviness comes from the puzzle itself. I agree. Yeah, if you like Sudoku, you're going to like mm-hmm. Sagrada. Yeah, yeah. I think you could play it with a lot of people, but but people that like the the crunchy heavy puzzle in us who are want to want to get their meat and want to get their fingers into something really meaty you know they don't tip particularly like board games but they like puzzles really i think yeah. they would like it not somebody who's just light and like to casually play i wouldn't recommend it for them so that's that's sagrada all right sagrada artisans so this is a brand new game it just came out i think first at gen con this year um designed by the same team and published by this and art by the same um all of the same as before so this game is is pretty much exactly the same as sagrada except for instead of drafting the dice and putting them on your board you draft the dice there's so there's a, instead of a huge bag of dice you have there's two of every dice in the bag and you roll them if you roll any duplicates you re-roll one of the duplicates so it's a different number and then you draft them instead of placing it on your board, you pick up a colored pencil and you color in that space and then write the number down. So exactly the same thing, but instead of putting the dice in the little board, you're coloring it in. You So every player gets a little workbook, a little three-ring binder workbook, which is kind of cute. It's got little pockets that you can store all the things you collect throughout the, the campaign or the legacy game of it. And then you play regular Sagrada. The rules are the same. You start on the outside, you cannot place, you have to place adjacent to a place you've already placed. Can that be adjacent, you know, all the rules, the adjacency rules, all the same. You can, but diagonally, they can be, you know, the same color. And then as the game progresses, you get a little bit of the story that comes in. You get a little bit more rules added on and, and the um, stained glasses become different shapes and, and different pictures, which is kind of fun. 
throughout the the legacy. And that's that's really the game. There's a lot more to it that I'm not going to explain because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. There's a little bit of a, a game within the game each time you're placing. For each game, you're adding new spots to this other Sagrada puzzle that you're going to finish at the very end of the campaign. So that's kind of fun. There's things that are introduced. It's not too much. Like I didn't like Machi Horo, how each game you added a new rule now you're compounding so you have a bunch of rules it's not like that there's a few things that they add it doesn't really compound it doesn't get more complex at the end there's a couple things that are added on but that doesn't make it more complicated so i like that it just makes it a little bit more interesting you basically get more of the same yes with different puzzles per different puzzles yep you're coloring it in if you like to color it's fun so it comes with colored pencils my only complaint here is the purple and red don't match the purple and red in the in the workbook. The colored pencils don't match the workbook color. Oh. So some of the colors are pre pre colored in, right? Like this spot yep. has to be a yellow, this spot has to be a red. Mm-hmm. But the red and the purple don't match the colored pencils. So as you're adding them in, it, you know, and you're looking at it, your red cololored that you colored in looks different than the red that's pre-printed there. And you can figure it out, it's fine, but it's a little it's a little annoying. And we ended up buying um erasable colored pencils, which I love. You should, everybody needs to buy erasable colored pencils to play with all of your roll and rights that have colored pencils because it's way better. They they erase really well. They're really nice. I highly recommend them replacing that for all your games. So then then my colors were all off, of course, which is fine. Like the blue, the green, and the yellow were totally fine. But the red and the purple, like there's just so many shades of it that it was a little tricky, but it was fine. It was not, didn't ruin the game. It was just kind of annoying. Yeah, that's interesting. Although those colors can be difficult to recreate after being printed and into like a colored pencil, you know, obviously. Yeah, you're limited to how they make colored pencils. It's fine. It's not, it's not a huge complaint, but it's just something to like, that kind of caught us a little bit. You know, it was, it was nice when we shifted to the erasable ones because my son would constantly like make mistakes and not be able to, you know, he shouldn't have put a die there when he, he you know, doesn't breaks the rules yeah. when he constantly had to erase. And I didn't want him to like, like ruin his game, you know. Oh, yeah. it's broken. If you place one that's wrong, it's called broken glass and you lose a point. Well, I always let him erase it and put it somewhere else. Obviously. Yeah. Can't let him, you know, just play the game the way it's supposed to be played. Sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. I gotcha. <laughs> so, okay. This is claimed a legacy game, right? Yeah. Is the legacy part just the fact that you're coloring in your workbook? Or is, do you actually destroy things and change things and everything like that? Yeah. No, you're not destroying. And ch- well, there's a little bit of that. Yeah, there's a little bit of changing things. Um, you get some special powers. You get some additional tools. You know, your tools can break throughout the game. So there's that. Um, you're building the cathedral. So as you're going throughout the legacy, you're adding more stickers to the board, which doesn't really do a whole lot, but it's... You know, kind of funny. You're putting stickers out, yeah, making it sure. look nicer. Um, you're opening packages to add new things. Yeah, there's a little bit. Would you say this is a legacy game, or would you say this is a campaign game? You can't replay it. So legacy. Even if you did new workbooks. So I thought about that because we only play with two of the workbooks since we played yep. two players instead of the four. Yeah. So we could replay it. We would have to like, if we wanted it to be the same, we couldn't redo it because of the stickers. We couldn't make it exactly the same. Yeah. But we could just play it again with yeah. like everything that we've already done to it and it would be completely fine. Sure. And then 
then it also comes with this booster pack, which is just a pack of papers that have uh, the same stained glasses. You can replay them all. Um, you oh. just don't get some of the features that you got throughout the game, and you're not doing those additional little bonus games. Yep. And then it comes within that packet, you also get new windows that you can play. They're brand new pictures. So it's basically once you play through the legacy slash campaign of it, you can you can have your own version of Sagrada Artisans that you can just play. Th- limited. You get a yep. booster pack. You obviously you're coloring it in so that it's gonna if you play the whole thing, it'll you'll be done. Then there's yep. two more booster packs you can buy. And there's even like a I don't forget what they called it, like a redo packet where you can play the whole game again but it's a little different story so a recharge pack maybe yeah recharge pack that's what they call it um and so that'd be fun to do that if you wanted more of it if you played it a lot um i love it i could play the whole thing all over again but my son it's a little it's a little much for him you know so that's why i let him break all the rules like i make sure i kept an eye on him to make sure he was playing it correctly giving him a lot of pointers like but i'd love to get it out with you and just play play it with somebody like you who would enjoy it and i could play it more a little bit more competitive you know yep. i wouldn't recommend it it does a little tricky for maybe under like uh 10 or 12 you know depending sure. on how how much your kids like the puzzliness of it these types of games are always kind of interesting because the clear definition of campaign versus uh legacy game is is that line is becoming more and more blurred when you played Pandemic Legacy Season 1, it was like you knew it was a legacy game. When you played a lot of these games, they're like, all right, these are legacy games. And it's starting to get to the point where this would, I would say, is a legacy game, especially if you're putting stickers down and like things are things are obviously changing and adapting and everything like that. But they're like blurring these lines between the two. So I find that interesting how things are starting to shift where, like I said, people are, you know, trying to. They're almost trying to create legacy games that can continue being played. Yeah, which I don't know why. There's a yeah. there's a lot in here. Like you can just play a game and just be done with it. That's completely fine for me. But a lot of people don't like that. This is a pretty pricey game, which I yeah. think will be its downfall. So it's I think like eighty dollars. It comes in a really big thick box, which I feel is really overkill for what this game is. I think it would have been better with, you know. Part of the reason why it's so wide is the booster pack takes up that space. Yeah. But it's it's thick, too. I feel like if it was smaller and a little bit less pricey, it would probably do better because I don't know that this feels like a giant $80 game. Yeah, it's the the thing of, is a legacy game worth it if you can't continue to play it after the fact? You know, like that that was the biggest gripe people had over legacy games is, Okay, I play it once and I'm done. I can't do it again. Well, you would have if you wanted to play it again, you'd have to buy a brand new version of the game and replay it. Like you know, Legacy, Pandemic Legacies. I keep bringing that up because that's that's like the grandfather. Uh, mm-hmm. Aside from Risk Legacy, which kind of you know sparked the way, but I think Pandemic Legacy is really what put Legacy games on the map. So for people, they don't want to invest that money into a game that they can't use. But in some ways, like that's just kind of the industry now. We have often talked about like how often, how many times do you play the same game? Yeah, if you, know, you play a game twelve times a year, that's a lot. Yeah, you know, and you're gonna play this legacy twelve times, easy, because you're gonna want to finish it. You're motivated. Yep. I think it's a, I think it's a, a feature. I like games that are completed. They're done. You throw them away. Yep. I, you know, Pandemic is a hundred and twenty dollar game. 
and you play it 12 times, 12 to 18 times, 12 to 24 times, you know, so probably about 18 times and you're yep. completely done. To me, it seems worth it. It feels kind of like a big game. You get a lot of pieces in it. You're opening things up constantly. I feel like the, the value is there. This this Sagrada game, is it's a much smaller footprint. You know, there's a lot of packets and stuff, but it just doesn't feel... I feel like it would have done better if it was a smaller box at a slightly less price point, maybe even just like $65 just would have kind of made it fit a little bit better. I don't know. Those spiral bound books are going to be expensive. That's the, and they do look nice and they've got pockets in them and then you open them up. So they're, they're stickered closed. And then throughout the game, you're opening them up, putting them in. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's worth it to me. Like, I, I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. I'm going to continue playing the booster pack. I might even get out those. I might even replay the whole thing with the spiral notebooks just to play them again. I enjoy the game a lot. Um, so if, to me, it was totally worth it. You know, would- if if you like Sagrada, you'll like this. If you, if you, you know, however you feel about Sagrada, this is just more of it. Yeah. I'm going to ask a question, and I'm going to regret asking this question, I'm sure. How was the story? <laughs> uh, I don't remember what the story was. Right, yeah, You're was building say, something. Yeah, there it I is. don't remember. <laughs> so, I read the, most of the story cards, I'll, but I still did. couldn't tell you what the story was. Yeah, most of them, not all of them. Sometimes I'd forget. All right, well. You're building a, you're, you've been hired to build stained glass, and you're doing that. Yada yada yada. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it don't matter. Not not the not the there there is no epic. Like I could tell you the entire storyline if I remembered what it was, and yeah. it would not spoil the game. Like we're a pandemic, there's obviously a really good story there. Yeah, the, there's some twists and turns in that one. Okay. Um so what are you gonna rate this game compared to original Sagrada? I'm coming in at an eight. I liked playing it just as much. Um, I like coloring things in. I think that's fun. There's like a lot of art on each of the pages. So as you're waiting for your turn, you could color in the art and stuff. And that would be a lot of fun. The gameplay is exactly the same. It's very much the same type of challenge. This just adds more. If you like Sagrada, but find the puzzles to be kind of samey, you want something different to change it up. You want some different challenges. This game is for you. If you're if you want to dip your toes into Sagrada, you could you could easily just start with this game. You don't need to go to Sagrada first and then this. I think it's I think it's really is one or the other. I don't think you need both. Sure. Unless you've been playing Sagrada so much, you're kind of bored with it. You love it, but you're you want more. Then then this is the game for you. If you're interested in Sagrada, this is the game for you. Check it out. It's a little bit more fun. It's a little higher price point. Obviously, you could buy a used copy of Sagrada for a fraction of the price. You know. Yep. So if that's what you you know if you wanted something a little bit more affordable, base Sagrada original Sagrada would be perfect as well. Um, it's not going to get above for me because because of the coloring thing, like the the colors not matching, and then like the big box. So now I've gone through the whole thing. Like I wish I'm considering cutting the box down so that it's like small, shorter. You know, sure. You know, cutting the boxes down. Um, because I don't like how big it is. It's kind of, it's kind of a pain to get it out. I don't know why it just feels difficult because there's a lot to it. I've got it all organized now, so that's a little bit easier. I'd like it to be a little easier to get out. Like, like the little small box of regular Sagrada is a little easier to like, all right, let's get out of this, play it real quick. You know, I don't know why this feels like a little bit bigger of a thing with the colored pencils, getting those out, you know, 
I don't know. It's just a little, it's a little much for what it is, but I still really like the game a lot. I think it's totally worth it. So I'm coming in at eight, same scoring as before. Highly recommend it. Um, same. It's very similar, just different, just more of it. That is Sagrada Artisans. Definitely worth checking out. All right. Those are the games we are going to be reviewing this week. We are going to take a quick break, but then when we come back, we are going to be talking about competitiveness in board games. Hello and welcome back. We are now going to be discussing competitiveness in board games. So this particular topic, part of the reason why we wanted to delve into it, or why I specifically wanted to delve into it, is uh, Natasha and I were having a conversation about something. I I can't tell you exactly what it was. Maybe we were talking about her, you know, toxic traits within board gaming. And if you <laughs> want to know what those are, check the, the couple episodes ago. Uh, she did her top ten toxic traits. Unless you want to be alienated from this podcast, then I would say don't check it out. <laughs> um, there's some strong opinions there. Anyway, and one of the things she had talked about is, you know, playing games competitively and playing against a player who's just like, eh, I don't care. I'm just going to do this move. It doesn't matter. Like, whatever. No big deal. And you talked about how you don't really like that. Oh, like, you I don't like it. Yeah, you don't like playing against <laughs> that. So it started it started making me think about like people being competitive in board games and the spectrum by which people are competitive, right? Mm -hmm. So that you have this large spectrum. You have the super highly competitive people who want to win every game no matter the cost. Yeah. Even you know? at the and cost then, of fun. Right. And then you have those people who are like, eh, whatever. I'll just make a move. Doesn't matter. No big thing. And that's just as frustrating. <laughs> so it, it makes me question, like, it makes me wonder where in the spectrum, A, do we fall? And, like, I just want to talk about it. Like, I want to talk about competitiveness in board games. And I just kind of, like, want to, I don't, I don't know, I just want to, like, dive into it and let talk about, like, the different aspects of it. Because I think of highly competitive players and I think of people like, you make a move on your turn and you're like, all right, my turn's done. Next person's like, oh, okay. And they and the previous person goes, wait, 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 wait. I messed something up. Hold on. I just want to do this real quick. And then that person whose turn it actually is goes, no, your turn's done. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, I think that's definitely a toxic trait, like being more competitive than, you know, than it, it's more competitive to, uh, it's more important to win than it is to have fun in that. And that's obviously toxic. And I just want to say, first of all, if you are not competitive at all, that is not problematic. You being not competitive and me not liking it is a me problem, not a you problem. You do not need to change. <laughs> I need to change. Like, I think the problem is being too competitive. So first of all, I will say that if you are all not right, competitive at way. all, yeah. that is completely fine. You do not need to be competitive to be my friend and play board games with. We will find games where you don't have to be competitive. So that's fine. It's a me problem. Not a you don't problem. have to change. <laughs> Even if I do yeah. super light competitiveness. There's a there's a <laughs> there's a disclaimer in there. I feel I feel like you just don't want to alienate anybody. <laughs> no, no, I really believe this. I think yeah, that's fair. Okay. Yeah. I really like playing games with super competitive people. Like not people that will be that is more important to win than it is to have fun. I think sure. I think I I like getting 
as high as we possibly can, but still making sure we're having fun. And what does that look like? Okay. So for me, that looks like I'm playing with people that are playing at my level. You know what I mean? If if it's a tight game, things are all going well. We're all like making really critical decisions, thinking really hard, being very competitive. That's what that means. It does not mean I, I do not play that way when I'm playing games with my kids, you know, or playing games with casual gamers. I will not play that same way. I I change it very much. And uh, what we talk about a lot is that's what makes like uh, kids games just not fun. Like you need to let your kids win games. Right. And if you're constantly letting them win, that's not that's not fun. You're just like going through the motions to let your kids have fun is really what you're doing. So finding those games where you can be competitive with your kids, games that your kids can beat you at on their own. That's really, really fun. And it's fun for kids and they know it. And, yep. and and that's why I like games that have a lot of luck involved for kids because they can win it based on luck alone. And that's just as fun. So I like to be as competitive as I possibly can all the time, but never to the detriment where I am going to destroy another player. That is not fun. Yeah. And the thing I wonder, too, is it is it necessarily competitiveness that you're looking for or is it similar skill level? So there's a there's that give and take, right? So one of the things you like is when everyone's being competitive, everyone's playing, you know, their A game, we're all within a few points, everything matters, everything, every decision you make matters. Is that a reflection on competitiveness or is that a reflection on skill level? It's definitely a reflection on skill. However, because those skills line up, I can, I can be competitive and I can get the, and if I pull out the victory, I get the thrill of the win. And that's the fun part. It is fun to, it's fun to think you're going to win, like to have hope that you're going to win. Like even if you yep. don't win, that's still fun. Like being there on the the very moment and thinking you're winning, your friend throws on this last card and he's like, actually, I got you by one point. And you're like, no, like that's the fun, right? And, and, and when you, when I play against you and other friends that are, that win a lot against me and I yep. beat you, like there is no joy like beating somebody who always beats you in a game. You know what I mean? Sure, yep. And, yep. and it it's just the best. And 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 my friends do that to me too. I win a lot as you know and I talk myself up. I'm like you're not going to beat me. I'm really good at this game. But they do. Sometimes they do and it's just as thrilling for them to like know that they beat me in a game and I get it. You know. <laughs> and yeah. that, I and I love that. I love being able to be super competitive and then pulling off the victory. I think the thrill of the win to me is so exciting. And I and and people like there are people out there in this world that don't have that in them at all. Like they literally don't care. Like like there's this girl on my bowling league, she throws the ball and then she turns around and walks back. Like she doesn't even look where her uh, ball's yeah. going. And I yeah. cannot like every time I see her, I'm like, I don't, my brain just doesn't compute. Like, look at it, it's really good one. Like, don't you see your ball? Like, how it's doing? You know, I get when like guys like throw a ball or whatever and they turn around, and they don't watch it because they know it's shit. like, I get that. But like yeah. every single time, I'm like, no, your ball's doing really good. It might, you might get a strike out of this. Doesn't even watch it. And like, I just can't even compete. I can't even compute how her, her brain, like, how do you not care? I don't get it. I don't get it. It's wired differently. It, the yeah, the only times I ever walked back without looking at my shot is 
either a I've thrown it completely horrible and it's yeah I, you don't need to watch it yeah I know it's gonna be a split I just it at this point like or when I throw it so good ah so good then I'm like that's a strike and you just <laughs> and I just and you just know it so you just like turn around walk away with that sheer confidence and you turn back around and you have a solid nine pin um, that <laughs> happens. It's it's funny because with like the competitiveness, it I've been told by people that I'm competitive and I don't like I have a tough time being like, yeah, I'm a super competitive person because I don't think I am Um, like at when I at work or whatever, when they're just like, we have this competition and I go like I would go to my staff and I'd be like, I, I'm we're winning this. Yeah. Like I'm telling you yes. this right now. We're winning this. And I, <laughs> I don't care how we do it. We're going to win this. What are your ideas? And we figure it out and we win and it feels good. Like, yes, did this thing. So people are always like, you're super competitive. I'm like, yeah, maybe when it comes to board. Yeah, thanks. Uh, When it comes to board games. Yes. So that's the tier, right? They're super competitive and they're super casual. And the tier I'd like to think I'm in is I'm a competitive player. But like you said, not to the detriment of of the fun of the game. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to be able to have fun and play and as competitive as I am, I'm not like always all about winning or losing. You know, if mm-hmm. the th- like I'm about being competitive in the game, if it comes down to it, it's within a few points, that sort of thing. Like I it feels good that you're still, you know, you've you're almost there, that sort of thing. There are times when I'm playing a game and I'm just like, all right, I got this. And then you lose and it pisses you off. So like that mm-hmm. it's it's tough because that level just kind of like it's always like changing. Sometimes I'm like, man, I, I don't feel like I've won a game in like weeks. So then like, and I'm starting to lose it. I'm like, man, I got to win a game here pretty soon to feel like I can actually win games again, you know? <laughs> oh, I think it's fun. I I know that I can, I'm competitive because in every single like thing that comes up, I want to win. Like if it's just like a drawing or something, I'm like, oh, I hope I win. Or like a, a random spin. My name is like, oh, I hope I win. I go into every contest like trying to win, even games of like pure luck. I like, I want that win. And even if there's no prizes, like I just love winning things. Like I just, yeah. I love it in every single aspect of my life. I, I love it. I think it's so fun. I And I cannot pro- understand and process how people are into it. It's a fun, thrilling thing. Yeah, it's that. Oh, it's almost like that addictive, um, like gambling addiction. You know, when people people will gamble, 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 and it's mm-hmm. just the the sh- the winning, like that dopamine rush of just yes. like I've won that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I can't gamble. I've, yeah, <laughs> I've learned that. <laughs> one time, one yeah. time when my husband and I were dating, mm-hmm. took me to Craig's Cruisers. <laughs> Okay. And you know that machine? I don't I don't ever go to these things for good reason. Um Yeah, okay. There was that machine that you put your quarter in or your token in and it like all of those tokens are stacked and it's pushing it out, you know? Yeah. So they're about to fall. And I was like putting money in and I was like, It's gonna fall, it's gonna fall. And then I ran out of money and I was like, Go give me more money. I'll hold the machine. <laughs> At that point my husband's like, Oh boy. <laughs> It, I and I did win. Like I got some tokens, and I won this really ugly, terrible stuffed animal. It, yeah, it was not worth it. It was not my finest moment. I I I don't take. I won't go gambling. I'm. It's not good for me. That's that's probably a good thing. At least that you know that about yourself. Yes. So it sounds like in the spectrum of competitiveness, we're actually we're high up there. But 
it's 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 an interesting god man that spectrum it's interesting because we're competitive we like to play competitive but at the same time if somebody makes a move and they're just like mm, can i take that back that's not really what i wanted to do usually we're both like yeah i don't care because it make because if i'd rather win a game that people are playing their best than a game where people are like meh or we forgot you know? or didn't yeah 100% yeah. yeah they just weren't into it so what do you do if you've got a player that just can't bother to care like it i find that it ruins games if, like it really ruins games when people don't make optimal moves for themselves like if you're anticipating that they're going to do this action and you're behind them and they don't do this action like it can ruin a game for you yeah. and and if that's part of their strategy, then that's a really good strategy. But it's not. They're just like randomly choosing what to do, especially in like trick taking games. Like it kind of ruins the whole game. So yeah. this is not a them problem. Like I said, if they're not into this game, if you've got a friend that can't bother to be competitive, you need to pick a game that they can't ruin. That's on you to pick a game that works well for them. Yes. Not a game that they're disinterested in and not going to bother carrying or not going to bother like learning the strategy of the game because it's just going to ruin the whole experience. So so it's not a them problem. You need to find a game that works well for them. Sure. You know, whatever that may be, maybe co-op, maybe one that there's just not a lot of player interaction so they can't really mess up anything for anybody else. You know, there's lots of ways you can go about this. Yeah, there's there's specific games that you can probably gear towards than others. You bring up trick-taking games, and I know one game in particular that I think sours for people when people aren't playing optimally is a game like Puerto Rico. I haven't had a chance to play it, but I've heard enough that it's it's been to the point where it quote-unquote solved, where if you're first player, this is what you do. Second player, you do this. Third player, you do this. Mm -hmm. And then if you have a person who doesn't care, you're just like, meh, whatever, I'll just take that one. And it or, screws up the rest but, of the line of people, you know? Yeah, and that that's really not even like somebody who doesn't care. That's like somebody who doesn't know. Like that's if you haven't played too. it enough yep. and you don't know these secret rules, you know. So like that's true with euchre. Like there's a lot of like rules. Like this is what you play. Like even though they're not rules of the game, they're like rules of this is the what you're supposed to do. Yeah. So strategy. When the strategy people, of the game. Yeah, strategy of the game. And if you don't do that, you it throws it all off and you're like this is not predictable you know yeah. so just don't play those games with people like that don't want to learn those or don't think that they, they, they think that they can play differently agreed my my question and i've already kind of touched on it a little bit is so let's say you win a game against the person that's like man whatever i don't care the win no doesn't joy. feel yeah there, it doesn't feel satisfying right you agree mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent. there's no joy there's no joy in beating them. Yeah, you're just like, cool, I you know, I I won a game where you weren't trying. Sweet. Yeah, go me. Woot woot. <laughs> yes. Um, here's my reverse question to that then. How would it feel to lose the game to that particular person? So the, the one of the things that happens is somebody will be playing and they'll be like, Oh, I'm doing so terrible, I'm doing so terrible. Oh man, I'm like I feel like all these moves are not optimal and then they crush us and you're just like, mm -hmm. All right, dude, I get it. But I'm talking about specifically that person's like, eh, whatever, I'll just do this. People can certainly luck into good moves or they yeah. could be pulling your leg and, and really be good at board games and just acting like they're not. 
Cool. Are they just trying to like hustle you or the next game of Great Western Trails for money this time? Like, I mean, I would <laughs> that wouldn't bother me because I'd be like, okay, next time I'm playing a little bit more aggressively with yeah, you because sure. obviously you can win, you know. So that's fine, you know. So how does the loss feel when you lose to the person who doesn't care? Oh, that wouldn't bother me. I I couldn't I couldn't even articulate how I would feel. I'd be like, oh, cool. Like I I don't think. It, I would make it to the point where I have any feelings left if I'm playing a game with somebody <laughs> just, that doesn't care. Cold. Like I'm already kind of out, like checked out. Like okay, let's just get through this. So at that point, like yep. I could care less if I win or lose. So to me, I'd have no opinions about that. But that, but maybe make me think like okay, maybe I am judging them wrongly. You maybe they do care. So you play differently based on the amount of competitiveness the other players show you. Hundred percent, and experience—not just competitiveness, but experience. I think experience is more, more there. Like, do you have an do you have an example? Like, Orleans is one of your favorite games, and you're like, obviously, you've played it enough that you've have a strategy that you want to do. But if you're going to play with brand new players, are you going to like pivot and do something different? Are you going to like how are you going to approach it differently? Yeah, I would. I would pivot and just try to. I would not plan out. I what I do when I'm playing with people who are new to games. Yep. is I don't put any thought into my game, my strategy. I just quickly decide to play a move and I do it. You know what I mean? I, I yep. don't plan out a strategy. I don't think about my next move. I just play the game. I spend a lot of time watching what they're doing and giving them strategy tips. Yep. I make sure I if they're going for something, I leave it there for them. Like I absolutely play differently. And, uh, and I won't apologize for that because I want it to be fun for everybody. The yep. reason why I'm teaching somebody a new game is so that they enjoy playing the game and me beating them by 50, 100 points is not going to make it fun for them. Yeah, I've I've gotten into games with new people that I've played. Actually, it recently happened with me. I was teaching Scout to my wife and her mom, I think. And so we were playing Scout and it was the first time both of them have played. And like I crushed them like it wasn't even close. I was like, well, what do you guys think of the game? And they're just like, you like destroyed us. Like, it wasn't that fun. No. The, and the thing is, I wasn't trying to play aggressive in the game. Like, I was just playing. Mm-hmm. And it just like worked itself out or whatever. But that's one of those games that it takes people a minute to wrap their head around how to play the game. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of thing. So it's interesting to think about playing competitively when you're playing against people that are the same skill level and same competitive level. And then playing against people who are just learning new games because it's the spectrum is always constantly shifting. Interestingly enough, I think the people who are on the top of the competitive tier who are constantly competitive will not adjust how they play based on who they're playing against. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. And if you're thinking, well, I don't want to play a a new game with you, Natasha, if you're just going to let me win. Well, I don't I don't let people win necessarily. What I yep. do is I just don't put as much thought into my strategy. I play quickly. I, I try to do my best, but I, I I don't I just try to handicap it myself in a way that I can still feel like I'm being competitive without yep. without destroying somebody. You know, and I'm like putting myself yep. like a, a way to handicap myself is what I want to do, right? Maybe I play my first half of the game just willingly playing whatever and then the second half i'm like okay how am i gonna pull a win out of this you know what i mean where i might beat them i'll still win but i want to i want to win by you know two or three points you know barely like i you know 
if or they could win, you know, not necessarily. I'm still trying to win. I just want it to be close. I've often talked about putting like self-imposed restrictions on me. And part of the mm-hmm. reason why I quote unquote put the self-restricted, you know, limitations on me is part of it is just having played games and having quote unquote achievements. So when you play Ticket to Ride, the app, you know, you can get achievements. And one of the achievements is scoring so many uh, tickets, scoring, you know, scoring so many points, having, you know, scoring based on your longest train or winning the game by not doing any of the, you know, neutral, neutral routes, that sort of thing. So it gives you all these like different like objectives you're trying to achieve within the game. And like, you know, whatever you achieve objective, objective unlocked. Cool. So that's what like I kind of do is Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, when I approach it, I'm like, okay, I'm not, this is the thing that I want to try to, this is the objective I'm trying to accomplish while also trying to win the game. And it still makes it fun for me and it still makes it fun for them. And like, Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe I'll win. Same thing with like great Western trail. Now, when I teach new people, I'm usually trying a strategy I don't normally approach. And I want to see like how viable that strategy is. I'm still trying my best to score as many points, but I'm focusing on the thing that they're not focusing on. You know, they're trying yeah. to get as many cowboys and drive, buy as many cattle as they possibly can. Cool. Guess what? I'm going buildings. I'm going to build as many buildings as I possibly can. I want to build them all. Like, that's my objective this round, you know, this game. I want to build every single building. Uh-huh. So just trying those different strategies and the different approaches towards it. Yeah, I think knowing your audience, knowing what games that they like, you know, and helping them, helping them, you know, the, the whole point of teaching them a new game is so that you would then have a competitor. You know, you got to get, but you got to work up to that point. You know, you can't just, somebody's not going to learn a game and then beat you. Some people can, but most people can't. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are talented at, at games and they, they can pick up on games relatively quickly. And I think with those people, like you can just play as competitive as you want. But yeah, for sure. It's just interesting that the level of competitiveness in games don't be the high tier that's a toxic trait you <laughs> it can be is low tier <laughs> it is funny because like if i know people who are less competitive or if i know somebody who's like not super competitive in a lot of games but there's one game in particular that they're very good at i'll often suggest that game mm-hmm. you know yeah because it's a game they know it's a game you know i know they're good at it they're competitive at it like we can all play our best that sort of thing so for the listeners out there, I'm curious, where are you in this spectrum of competitiveness? Are you the top tier? Are you one of the toxic people? Defend yourself in the emails. I would like to hear it. <laughs> are, you, are you one of the people that is like, ah, I don't care, whatever. I'm just doing it for fun. At the end of the day, I have a friend of mine who often and he talks about this in D&D. And he always says, we're all playing our own game. And your daughter brought it up in the D&D episode. Like everyone wants to be the main character in their own story. Same thing in board games. Everyone's approaching this to get something different out of it. You know, everyone wants something out of the board gaming hobby. Everyone wants something out of playing board games. And I think that's different for different people, you know. But I think Mm -hmm. at some point you just got to be able to, you know, find that common ground of competitiveness. You know, if you find find a group that's the same tier as you, perfect. Yeah. And if you're playing with people that are different, then find a game that that they can be competitive with and it can be just as much fun. You know, you just got to find that right game that works for both of you. Yep. Agreed. All right. Well, thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week. Please help us out by giving us a review and liking us on Instagram or Facebook. And please send us any comments or questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.